You're listening to the Cathedral Podcast. To learn more about Cathedral, like service times or how to get connected with a small group, visit wearecathedral.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Eddie Tilly. Woo! Anybody recognize that music? That is Christmas trap music. Yes! Yeah, Destiny! Woo! Destiny got me on the front row. I love Christmas trap music. I'm just, I'm just, I'm kind of weird when it comes to music. Like I love it all, right? Like I love going back to the 50s and 60s, the classics. You know, you just put them on the radio, those old ones, Bean Crosby, all those guys. I love that. All throughout December, my morning devotional music has pretty much been a YouTube fireplace with just classical piano, instrumental Christmas, just just soft moment music. But then this kind of music, trap music, like I love that out of the box thinking. It brings life and energy and creativity. And I just love it. And I love sharing it with people. I'll never forget the first time I shared it with Janton. (laughs) Janton said, that is junk right there, man. What are you listening to? I said, no, Jen, you got to get out the box, man. You got to get out of that proper music theory class you've been in. Let the, let the birds fly, man. Come on, you know, release the doves. He's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Knock yourself out. But I do love all kinds of, of music and I do love Christmas. And so what I wanted this weekend to be is really a weekend like all of them have been from the first one where Pastor Mike got us started down the road and then Pastor Dave continued that message and my message will continue this weekend and that is of taking Christmas. And you know, when you're gonna take Christmas, you have to slow down. And so we're gonna take a moment right now, kind of slow down. So guys, can we do the whole, let's kind of bring the lights down, kind of give sort of a night. Ladies, can we get the Bethlehem? Oh yeah, there it is. Skyline of Bethlehem right there. The, the Christmas star. I'm liking, the, I'm liking the, yeah, the blue, that kind of night. This is iconic Christmas, right? I mean, when we, when we get our Christmas cards, when we think about the Christmas songs, oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Or silent night, right? Silent night, holy night, all is calm, yeah. And then the greatest miracle that has ever happened in the history of creation. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, comes and he's born in this quiet little town. The miracle of Christmas. And then you have these shepherds on the outside of town and these angels appear to them and bring them this message of great tidings and joy that this day born unto you is the Savior, the Messiah. You'll find him laid in a manger and wrapped in swaddling clothes. And they go and they find the baby Jesus and their life is never the same. That is the iconic Christmas. And that is the Christmas story when you read it in the Bible. But as I was diving into this story for this service, I started just sort of meditating on that and realizing everything that was going on and realizing it wasn't such an oh, holy night, silent night, quiet, calm. It's not exactly what was going on. Yes, it was a little town, a very little town called Bethlehem that was suddenly inundated with an influx of people that had completely overwhelmed the infrastructure. Can anybody identify with living in a town where a whole lot of people come in and overwhelm your infrastructure? That's what's going on. 
There's no hotel rooms. You go to the restaurant. That will be a two-hour wait. I mean, all these people are coming in. And why? Because the government has shut down their life. The government said, I don't know, stop what you're doing. Everybody go back to your hometown. We're going to count you up. Think about that if you're a business person. You know, if you're a business person back then, there's no, I mean, you know, you're doing everything you can to make ends meet. And the Roman government says, nope, you're going to shut all that down. You're going to go back to wherever it is that you were born and you're going to stay there until we can get everybody counted. Then you can come back. So these people aren't all in Bethlehem singing jingle bells and excited about all being back together this Christmas. No, they're inconvenienced. They're aggravated. They're frustrated. They're in this little place. There's too many people there. And now we're not like that, right? I mean, when Christmas comes, there's not a sudden influx of people into the city of North Charleston, but it kind of feels that way, doesn't it? You go to the stores and it's like, man, there's a lot more people in here shopping than there normally are. And the lines are a lot longer at the cash register. And what is the deal with the traffic? Is anybody working? Because there used to be a rush hour in the morning and a rush hour in the evening. And in between, you could get to where you, not anymore. Somebody's always, it's just this craziness. And I love it that that is the template. It's like God was showing us this is going to be the template for all Christmases to come. Christ comes, Christmas comes into the midst of all the frustration and the aggravation and the inconvenience and the crowds. And Christmas has come for everyone. But yet there's only a few that are sort of outside of the hustle and bustle. They're kind of separated from the harriedness and the hurriedness and they hear this life-changing message. They have this encounter with God that changes their life. And now they begin this journey of sharing what has happened to them with other people who don't know so that they too can have this encounter with God and their lives be changed the same way it was for the shepherds that night. So it really is a template and a pattern of what Christmas would look like from now on for wherever you're from. And it's the same way for all of us, right? My own personal journey with Jesus was the same way. Before I met Jesus, Christmas was a nice time. It was a good time to exchange gifts with family and friends. Great time to get a little extra time off of work. I had a government job. Wonderful thing about the government, they do believe in taking some time off of work. So they shut everything down the week before Christmas, everything down between Christmas. So there's a two week, you know, period of time. You got extra vacation. So even though, yes, there was a lot of hustle and bustle going on, you didn't have your job. You're having to go to work to every day. So it felt like things slowed down a little bit. But that was pretty much Christmas for me. What, what I wasn't able to do is I wasn't a very good lover of people. And the reason I wasn't a very good lover of people is because my heart was shut down. You know, just by virtue of, of growing up, like for most of us, what life is like for us as we're growing up, I took enough hits that at some point in time, my heart decided, you know what, I'm done. Closing up shop, going out of business. Shutter up the windows, put a padlock on the door, hang the sign, out of business. And that's it. And so I just sort of went throughout my life living life that way. Then at the age of 25, along comes this Jesus. And Jesus comes by and he sees that heart and he goes, and that's just the kind of heart I've been looking for. And he goes and he buys it. He goes and gives his life on the cross to buy my heart, to purchase my heart. 
And then he comes in, cuts the lock off the door, throws up in the windows, throw up in the door, letting the light come in, let it shine. And then he takes off the going out of business sign and he hangs a new sign. Grand opening. Woo, we are back in business, baby. So now for the first time, all of a sudden, I had this supernatural capacity to love people. I never really had that before. And I mean, I could feel it. It was a real deal. It was like in there, something I'd never had. And I had that capacity. But then came a little bit of a rub. And the rub was I had the want to. I did not have the how to. Like I didn't really know how to love people. Like I had a strong desire to do it. Real, I really wanted to. People, I just, all of a sudden my priorities shifted. People were more important. But then there would be this rub in my relationships with my wife or with my friends or with or other people in my life. And I was realizing, man, I'm wanting to, to love them, but I'm really, I'm struggling. Like, how do you do that? If you don't grow up seeing it, if it's not put, it's almost like this. It's like, think of it like a toolbox. If you, from the time you're little, from the time you're a small child, if part of the goal of parents is to help put tools in your box to teach you, this is how you love people. This is how you be a loving person. This is how you love others. This is how you serve others. My toolbox was empty, so there was nothing in there. But then I find myself in a wonderful church called Cathedral. And I start hearing these incredible messages and I start hearing from the word of God what it is that God wants for us. And then in the most simplistic way, one of my favorite verses out of Mark is when Jesus was challenged by the religious leaders and they said to him, all right, you're the son of God, you're the Messiah. Riddle me this. What is the greatest commandment out of all of them? Which one are you going to choose? And, you know, they were trying to catch him in a trap. And Jesus came right back. Oh, that's easy. Piece of cake. I'll tell you exactly what it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And not that you asked, but the second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He said everything is wrapped up in that. He said if you just love God first and with your whole heart and then love people, you don't even have to worry about the rest of them. Because they will be a natural outflow of your life if you're loving God and loving people. So I was like, okay, well, that's easy. Well, then as I'm, as I'm sitting in services at cathedral and as I'm going to small groups, I start finding out crazy things like this. Did you know we're all created differently? Did y'all know that? Did y'all know we have different personalities? We do. Did you know you might be married to somebody that does not think like you do? I start hearing these messages and I start and I start getting these two things going, right? It's a combination of you've got the supernatural love of God in your heart, but then there's this natural thing that needs to happen as well. And then you have the grace of God sort of overshadowing the whole thing. But I start learning about disc personalities, D-I-S-C. You go to Bo and Alice's class or marriage class. They teach you all about the disc and you find out you're a high I. I'm a high I, but not only am I I, I start looking. I was like, man, there's all kind of eyes. Like just because you're an I, you're not this kind of I. Like there's tons of, of different types of personalities underneath the I and underneath the others. Then I found out there's this thing called Enneagram. Yeah. What's well, an Enneagram? I want one, right? You know, Enneagram where you've just got, again, this breakdown of personality and you start learning about the people around you. And I had that desire to do that. And the reason I had the desire is because I wanted to love people. And if you have the, the desire and the want to, but you don't have the how to, it's so frustrating. And to be honest with you, that's the majority of people that I meet with in my office who come in, you know, that are having marital problems or relational problems or whatever. They have the want to, they want to, but they don't have the how to. So a lot of times I'll say to them, I'll say, look, 
I mean, I understand, you know, we, this is a church and there's a lot of things that are spiritual. I said, the first thing we need to make sure is, you know, you got to have Christ in this. You can't do anything without him. But once you have him in, now there's this whole other side that's very natural. I just simply call it education. It really is education. You need to educate yourself on how you're wired and how the people around you are wired. You need to understand how that all works and fits together. There's a Myers-Briggs test. There's a Taylor Johnson test. If you really want your mind blown out of the universe, there's a Highlands Ability Battery Test. And that thing will just show you how incredibly unique every individual is. And again, your motivation for it is to love better. Now, I get excited about anything new, so anytime I find something new, I get excited about it and dive into it. But honestly, quite honestly, what excites me more is I love when I can understand my wife and my children's personality better because now I, I can communicate more to them how much I love them in a way that they understand. And then they can do the same for me. So as we were sitting down and going through this as a planning team, and I was kind of pitching this whole idea when they said, you know, what do you feel like the Lord is saying? I said, well, I really, you know, feel like the Lord is talking about inviting people onto this journey of this changed heart. But I said, I'm not sure, you know, exactly how to go about it. And I said, what do you think is the one thing? Like, if you could narrow it down, what's the one thing that has to be there? And somebody in the room said, I, I think it all boils down to desire. You have to have the desire. And that just rang true with me. And as I began to meditate on that and just sort of search through, you know, how do you go out that I realized, you know, desire is a very complex thing. And I think when we hear desire, we always think the want to. And that is a very important part. But there's all these other pieces. So I want to share with you the different pieces that I see in terms of desire and how that plays out from my journey and see if it applies to yours. There's like five simple steps of going through this to sort of get your heart moving in that direction. And the number one thing is that you have to want things to change. Now, the good thing about that is I believe everybody fits that category. If I were to say to you right now, how many of you in here, how many of you online would like to change in such a way that you could love the people in your life better? How many of you would raise your hand? Raise your hand if that's you. See, everybody in the room, if somebody next to you didn't raise their hand, distance, keep some distance, boundaries, another great books, boundaries and codependency, okay? Yeah, those are great. Henry Cloud and, and Townsend, you, you got to get to know those. So everybody has that. So that's a done deal. But then the next logical question is, well, if you want to change, how come you haven't changed, right? Well, then you start moving further down the road in the process. The next part of the step being you have to realize that change begins in you. This was a big one for me, and I think it's a big one for a lot of people. A lot of times when you have a married couple that come in and they sit down in your office and it's just not working out and they're, they're trying to figure things out, the, the first major portion of that meeting is going to be getting them to see that he is not the problem and she is not the problem. Because for all of us, it's like, well, my life would be a lot better if she would change. Well, my life would be a lot better if he would quit doing this. And so the first realization that we all have to hit is that change begins with us. And up to this point, we're pretty much traveling in lockstep with even worldly thinking. If you go out into the world today, most people would agree that, yes, it's a good idea to be a better person, to love people better. That's a great thing. And really, when it comes to change, you really do have to just focus on you. You can't change other people. People are going to do what they're going to do. You have to focus on you. And we're in lockstep with the world when it comes to that, because if you go online or into a bookstore, you're going to see thousands of self-help books. 
But I would argue with you that you could take any one of those books off the shelf and you can work them and you can work them hard. You can change your habits. You can change your thinking patterns. There are all sorts of natural things you can change. But I'm telling you there's a shelf life to that. And there's a shelf life to it because it's based off of human ability, human reason, human thinking. And there's just a shelf life to it. And if you don't believe it, you could go get one of those books and practice and have it down to a T. But the first time life happens and somebody cranks that heat up to about a thousand degrees, that's when you see the true condition of how much change is really going on. So because of that, this now is where we part ways with the world. Because we understand in this next part of the process that we can't change our heart. And because we can't change our heart, we have to ask Jesus to help us. Now, sometimes that's hard for people to hear. A lot of times when I say this, you do realize you can't change your heart, right? A lot of times people look at you like, no, I'm pretty sure I can. But you don't know me, buddy. Like I can get some things done. And, and it does, it kind of messes with your head. But when you think about it, you, our hearts are broken, right? And there is some level or some state of brokenness and only Jesus can change a heart. And that's what he came to do. He came to mend our hearts and repair the relationship between us and our heavenly father. He came to repair the relationship between us and our spouse, us and our friends, us and our coworkers. And he does that by continually working on our heart. So this is kind of where we part ways with the world because we understand that, yes, we have a role to play and a part to play. And that is in having that desire and that want to change and admitting that we can't change and that we need help and asking Christ to help us. And then that launches us on this journey with trustworthy people. I notice I didn't say your friends and family because for a lot of you, your friends and family aren't trustworthy people. Now, here's what I mean by that. I don't mean trustworthy when it comes to finances or things or possessions or whatever. I'm talking about trustworthy when it comes to your heart. You can have some, you can have some wonderful people in your life that will do anything in the world for you. But unless they understand the, the, how fragile your heart is, anybody's heart, and unless they, they have that love of God and that love of Christ in them to journey with you, 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 can't, you can't just give your heart to anybody. We have to take the journey with others. We have to have people in our life that love us and can speak the truth to us in love, that can encourage us. We all need encouragement, every single one of us. But those have to be trustworthy people that we journey with, that we do life with, that can help us take that journey. And the good news is, is it's not like there's an arrival place. It's not like one day you wake up and you're there and you've arrived. It is a lifelong journey that Jesus himself said, this is the journey that you're going to be on from now on. In this broken world, that is the journey towards wholeness. So you ask Christ to come into your life and you're saved and you're going to heaven and your sins are paid for and that's a done deal. But then Jesus's whole goal is to continue this relationship with you through his Holy Spirit of molding your heart and making you more and more like him and give you the ability to do what only Jesus could do, and that is he loves anybody. I mean, he can love anybody. The, the, the nastiest person you can think of in your life that you think is the most unlovable, Jesus can look at them in the eyes with such compassion and love and love them. And his goal is to get us to that, that same place. But I'm going to tell you, it's not easy, right? For me, it hasn't been easy. It's been over 30 years of taking this journey. So I want to take a moment now and share with you another truth of becoming more like Christ. And that is that life is going to continually test you. You don't have to worry about, you know, trying to figure out where you're at or if you're doing okay, because life is going to throw you some tests. 
And it's going to give you the opportunity to do some evaluating. So I had an incident on Thanksgiving morning that was one of those such life events. So I just want to share that with you and then talk to you about how I handled it now versus how I would have handled it, you know, over before I met Jesus at the age of 25. But before we can do that, take a look at this. This was Thanksgiving morning at my house. All right. So this is coming up underneath the house. It's where the garage slab is. Everything looks good until you turn the corner and then you see that there's been water spraying that I now have a rag around that's dripping down in to there. And uh, everything is just black, moldy, soaking wet. That's the garage wall. Everything up here is absolutely saturated. Mold and everything growing on everything. Yep, so happy Thanksgiving. So I took that video, you know, I'm just aware of something right there. The older you get, more the more noises you make. All that grunting, you know. Pretty sure I didn't do that when I was 25 years old. But I did that because I wanted to share it with the weekend planning team. So I sent that video. I said, here you go, guys. Here's what I'm doing for Thanksgiving. And I didn't send that to them for them to be all sympathetic, which they were. You know, like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I hate you. I was like, no, no, no. I said, it's just kind of funny. You know, and I said, and the real funny thing is, if this had happened to me when I first got saved, when I first became a Christian, I would have immediately laughed. Like, when I first became a Christian, anything bad that happened to me, my initial response, I'd just start laughing. I'd be like, oh, my gosh, that's a good one. That devil, you really think that's going to take my joy away from me? Bring it. Bring it. I got so much joy in here, you can't touch it. Woo, that's a good one. That's a funny one. But then I follow that up with the funny thing is, I, I'm just going to be honest, I didn't laugh. I didn't laugh when I went up in there and found that. And so, and Megan, being just like me, she texts back. She goes, oh my gosh, Eddie, I'm so sorry. She, you know what? We're going to laugh for you. Everybody, let's start laughing for Eddie. Boom, 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 boom. And I love that. And I love, it really was just kind of a funny situation. But I want to put it in context to kind of share with you very openly and honestly. It's easy to share with you how I handled it now. But I also want to share, you know, how I would have handled it. And what I did with it was my kids had just come into town the night before. My kids have hit the age where they're not home that often. They, they've grown up. They've moved out of the house. So now they've come home. So we spent that whole night before Thanksgiving just sitting up talking for hours. And I know the same thing is going to happen Thanksgiving morning. They're there. They're going to be waking up soon. They hadn't woken up yet. Not only that, but all the extended family is coming to our house for Thanksgiving. So what I know now is this is precious time. Like this is precious time that I have with my kids. This is precious time with my family. And I'm not going to allow something like this to rob that from me. So I did what every self-respecting DIYer does. I got right on YouTube. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> Plum and leak. Because it's spraying everywhere. I calculated out by that bucket and the size of it and the rate the water was dripping in it that for about a month and a half, I've been losing two and a half gallons of hot water an hour, 24-7 for about 45 days. Yes. Just, just, just angry at the, at the power company for my power bill and all that. Just angry and frustrated. And it wasn't them at all. It was my fault. 
So I go up under there, I tie a rag around the hole so it doesn't spray and it just drips straight down and we're good to go. I'm like, you know what? We'll deal with this tomorrow. And when I woke up the next morning, same thing, right? Because my kids are still there. I'm like, I don't want to waste time with this. So I was at Lowe's as soon as they opened up, I got everything I needed to fix it, got under the house, got it repaired. So when everybody woke up, we could just relax and enjoy each other's company. Now that's about 30 years of trying to get that right and messing it up a lot of times. But I can tell you exactly how I would have handled it before Jesus. And I always try to stay in touch with this because I feel like it helps me understand people better because the Eddie before Jesus, I would have been so angry at waking up on Thanksgiving morning. And of course, the water, there's a pinhole that has been there. I could have found it anytime, anytime I could have seen it, but no, I find it on Thanksgiving morning when everybody's coming to the house. And I would have just been angry. Don't ask me why. I, honestly, I can't tell you why, but it just would have made me mad. And the more mad I would have gotten, the more I wanted, would have wanted other people to know that I'm mad. So when everybody started waking up and getting their coffee and, and sitting down to talk and have a good breakfast, when I would come up from underneath that house, oh, y'all eating breakfast? No good, yeah, enjoy it. No, 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 I'm in the mud under the house. But y'all go ahead and have a good time. Enjoy yourself, okay? I'm glad you're getting this opportunity, all right? I'm trying to get things fixed. But y'all just go on ahead, you know, do what you do. It's all good. I got it. Eddie, would you like some help? No, 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 no. No, you just sit right there. You just sit right there and do what you're doing. I got it. Anybody got somebody like that in your life? I call, ooh. Woo. Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, come on back. Come on back. I call them atmosphere wreckers, right? They just, they, they, there's no sense or value of, you know, other people and what's going on and there being an atmosphere. I'm telling you, I was one of those people. I mean, if I was miserable, if you're in my life, you're going to be miserable. Now, I'm not talking about the people on the outskirts. That's the weird thing about how, how sick we get when our hearts are broken. Uh, probably, here, in all honesty. If my house was full of some complete strangers, even before Jesus, I probably would have had a decent attitude. It's something about the people that are closest to you. For some reason, it's like you just want to like, ruin them. because Your day's messed up. I'll mess up your day. I don't know what that is, but I'm very much aware of it. And I can remember it so strong. And I can remember not liking it. I hated being like that. But for the life of me, I couldn't figure out how to change it. And the reason I couldn't figure out how to change it, and I had tried, I had tried being a better person. I had tried being nicer. I had tried not to let myself get all worked up. And again, there was a shelf life to it. It only lasted so long because it was my energy and my effort. There was nothing supernatural going on. There was nothing, it was still a closed off dead heart that was the real issue. Because when it's just a closed off dead heart, there's no capacity there for any kind of life. And then when an event happens like that, that just shines a magnifying glass on it, the ugly just comes out. Because there's no lovely in there. It's been, it's been shut down. And only God can put that lovely back in there and fill you up and keep you full so that when that, when that, when that life happens and those events happen, that that love can override. And that light can shine in the darkness. And so as I was going through this process and thinking about it, I came across a story in the Bible and I was like, oh my goodness, this is Christmas. 
This is Christmas right here. The whole thing of Bethlehem and the little city and, and Christmas coming and only a few people getting it. The whole idea that it's just like that for you and I, that, that Christ comes. And for those of us that ask him into our life, our life has changed and we share with others. This story is the same thing. It is a story of Jesus coming into a place full of people. And a very clear illustration of what I'm talking about, the difference between the two. And it's the story of Mary and Martha. How many of you know the story of Mary and Martha? A lot of you. Okay, for those of you that don't, a couple of disclaimers. Number one, this is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is Mary, the sister of Lazarus, a man who Jesus had rose from the dead, but he's not dead yet. That hasn't happened. We're backing this up. This is before. Um, so this is just a girl, a woman by the name of Mary, who has a brother, Lazarus, and who has an older sister, Martha. And this is the story of Mary and Martha. And a couple of other disclaimers that I've just really discovered this week. I'm like, man, you know, we always mean well. As a church, we mean well. But sometimes we just, we just move too fast and we don't, we don't slow down enough to see what's really going on. Because a lot of times you'll hear somebody, especially a church person, say, man, you need you a good Martha in your life. You need somebody who can get some stuff done. Well, after getting diving into this, I'm like, no, man, you don't want a Martha in your life. Unless you want to take them on as a project. You know, and you want to make it your life's ambition to change them. You know, you don't want to Martha. This is not about task over people. And I think a lot of times if you go through it too fast, it can seem that way. Because we hear Mary and Martha and we hear about Mary sitting at the, and it's like in our head, all we see is there was Mary and Jesus and there was Martha. But that's not the case. When you look in Luke and you read the story of Mary and Martha, you have Jesus coming through this town with all of his disciples He's traveling with his disciples. He's been teaching and he comes to the house of Lazarus and Mary and Martha and he decides to stop at their house. And the story goes on to talk about how when Jesus and his disciples come in. So again, you got Jesus, you have the disciples. So at a bare minimum, that's 13 people right there. They didn't really travel alone. You're going to have a few extra people with them. So let's say there's 15, 18 people that come into this house and they all go to sit in the living room. And Mary decides, well, that's where I want to be. So Mary comes and she sits in the living room. So Mary and Lazarus and Jesus and the disciples, they're all sitting in there and Jesus is teaching and doing what he does. And there's just the relationship and connection and they're just all locked in. Martha is over here in the kitchen because Martha in and of her own accord has decided somebody needs to feed these people. So she's over here trying to get a meal together. That sounds good. That sounds appropriate. No, that's being a good hospitable host, except nobody asked her to fix anything. But she decided that's what needs to be done. And she's doing it. And nobody's helping her, especially her little sister, Mary. And she is getting mad. The longer she's in there, he's slamming them pots down and slamming that oven door and slinging them plates. Does anybody know I'm in here? If anybody's wondering, I'm cooking dinner. While y'all are all sitting in there talking. <laughs> now, catch this. Watch this. I mean, Martha gets herself so worked up over this that she comes barging into this room full of people. Full of people. Beautiful atmosphere. Wonderful relationship. Connection happening. She comes barging in there and she goes right for Jesus. She knows who Jesus is. She goes right to him. Jesus, do you not think it's unfair that Mary's just sitting here while I'm over here cooking dinner? Make her get up and come help me. Now, I love the way that Jesus handles Martha because for most of us, we've all experienced that, right? 
And we usually handle it one of two ways. One way is you just sort of put your head down and you just say, if you don't talk to them, they'll go away. It won't let, it'll blow over. Just let them go. They'll go back to the kitchen and it'll be okay. You know, the other way is you're like, oh, you're not going to. And then you got this whole, you know, bantering back. Either way, it just messes up the whole dynamics. Jesus just calmly stands up. He knows what's going on, right? He knows this is a heart deal. This is, this is not, she's not an ugly person. This, this isn't what she wants. Here's, here's what I know about every Martha is they desperately want to be a part of this. But something in them fights it. And no matter how hard they try, they, they can't feel comfortable and welcomed and accepted in this. And a lot of times they end up hurting people because of it. Again, not because they're mean and they're ugly. It's just there's something going on in the inside that they can't fix and they can't figure it out. And Jesus knows exactly what's going on. And Jesus just simply stands up and goes, Martha, you're all worked up over all this stuff that doesn't matter. There's only one thing that matters. And Mary, Mary gets it. And I'm not going to take that away from her. And it ends right there. Now what we know is there's always an open invitation from Jesus. Jesus didn't turn around and say, now go get back in that kitchen and cook me a dinner. <laughs> he didn't do that. The invitation was there. Martha, bring it down. I mean, come, come be a part of this. This is really what you want. I know you don't know what you want right now, but I'm telling you this is what you want and this is what you need. And this is an invitation to just stop, stop, stop the crazy in your head and come and be a part of this. Don't listen to those voices on the inside of you that are telling you don't belong. I'm telling you, you do belong. I'm telling you, I do want you here with us. And we don't know what her decision was, but we do know that when Lazarus, her brother, did die, Martha pretty much had the same stance. Again, when things happen in life and it turns up the heat, you see the true heart. And again, she came at Jesus just accusatory and, and basically saying to him, it's your fault my brother died because if you would have been here, you could have healed him and he wouldn't have died. And so Martha is on this journey, just like we're all on this journey. Wouldn't it be interesting if we could sort of go back in time and like sit down and just have a counseling session with Mary and Martha and just find out what in the world was going on there? Like what, what was it like to be in the middle of all that happening? Well, you know what? Just so happens I set up a counseling appointment with both of them. Yep. Mary should be here any a minute because actually it's a couple minutes late. Hey, Hi, I'm Mary. Mary. We spoke on the phone. Nice to meet you. Have a seat yes. right there, please. I'm so glad you were able to come. So I've been looking through the form that you filled out online and all the information and you've given me a lot. I see that we're you know, concerned about your sister, Martha. <laughs> Um, but I always sort of like to get your perspective personally. So can you just sort of, you know, tell me things from your perspective? Hmm. Well, where would you like for me to start? Oh, let's see. Well, I see that you guys received word that Jesus uh, and the disciples were coming to your house. Um, so why don't we pick it up right there? So talk to me about how did Martha react to that news? Oh. Well, she was excited. I mean, we had heard about him telling the stories of God. And then, of course, there's all the miracles, healing the sick and the lame. I mean, there's just something about when you're in his presence. I don't know. I, I can't quite describe it. 
I, I can't imagine what that must have been like. But um, so how did he come to choose your house? You know, now that I think about it, I really have no idea. Now, Martha definitely has a reputation for entertaining guests. She definitely goes way above and beyond. And in our village, that type of reputation holds quite an honor. So as you can imagine, Martha takes it very seriously. Okay, so you're probably all getting ready for Jesus to get there. Mm -hmm. Yes, we were all getting ready. Um, I will say though, I know that she means well, I do. But Martha can be a bit demanding that things go a certain way. Mm -hmm. And then with the added pressure that Jesus was coming, it, it just was bad, really bad. So what do you mean by bad? Well, Lazarus and I want to help. We try to help her, but she makes it so hard. <laughs> I see. So how does she make it hard? Well, she just gets wound up. She's so tense. You can feel it in the whole room. It's terrible. And then if you don't do something exactly how she wants it, boom, Mount Martha, spilling lava everywhere. Lava? Okay, that's an interesting concept. Talk about that a little bit. What do you mean by lava? Well, if you don't do something just like she wants it, then she's like, why would you do it that way? That's not how I told you to do it. That's stupid. Mm. And then if you're not doing your part or pulling your weight, boom, the lava. So was she like that the day that Jesus came? Are you kidding me? It was way worse. Mm. Everything had to be absolutely perfect. Lazarus and I were already walking on eggshells. That day, we just sat back and waited for the lava. Okay, so you're straightening up the house, getting everything ready for him. Um, like, what happened next? So Jesus gets there, and how did she react to him <laughs> yeah. getting there? Well, this is when it gets really awkward. So I see Jesus and the disciples coming down the road. So I tell Martha that they're here, and she gets mad. She's really? mad that Jesus and the disciples are here early. She says, I haven't finished cooking the meal. How dare they come early when I'm not ready? It's okay. Jesus and the disciples. So, so what was everybody else doing? Well, we were greeting them and she did greet them too, but then she stomps off to the kitchen. She's like bouncing dishes around, throwing things, mm. being noisy. It was obvious that she wanted us to know she was upset. Mm. So how did Jesus handle all of that? Or how did, really, before we get to how she handled it, like, how did that affect you guys? Are you kidding me? It's Jesus in our house. Mm. I mean, we're at his feet and he's telling us stories of heaven and God and God's word. It was amazing. So he wasn't distracted by all of Martha's, everything that she was no, doing? No, not at all. I mean, she tried to get him to be. So he's in the middle of telling us this incredible story and she storms in from the kitchen, one hand on her hip, points one hand at me and says, Jesus, don't you think it's unfair that she's just sitting there while I'm doing all the work? Make her help me. Yeah, mm. that's what she says to Jesus. And what did he do? He didn't even get upset. It's actually quite the opposite. He was compassionate. And he told her, he said, Martha, you are so worried about all of these little details when there's only one thing to be concerned about. And Mary gets that. So what did she say to that? Nothing. Lava girl just stomps back into the kitchen. <laughs> okay. 
Well, I think you've uh, given me a pretty good picture there, Mary. So I appreciate that. I know Martha's coming. I just really wanted to hear from you first before she got here. So thank you so much for yeah. coming. I'm going to make a few yeah. notes here to myself good before luck. she gets here. <laughs> thank you. You know, though, I must say, she does have a good heart and she means well. She just keeps it shut off for some reason. Okay. Thank you. I know what's happening right now. A lot of you are thinking, man, I've got a Martha in my life. <laughs> and you know, sometimes that happens. You know, you hear, you hear these different things and you think about, gosh, that sounds just like, that sounds just like Martha. That sounds just like my Uncle Frank. I heard you say my name. So I decided to go ahead and come on in. Where do you want me to sit? Here? Uh, uh, yeah. Great. Sure. Okay. <clears throat> Let's get this done. All right. Um, uh, so what are we getting done? This done. Listen. The only reason that I'm here is because Mary thinks that I have issues. So I'm here just to make her happy. Okay. Um, I mean, honestly, I really don't have any more issues than the next person. I simply have an agenda and I want to get things done. And she thinks that means issues. Okay. Um, is the reason that I'm here because of the first time that Jesus came to my house? Yes. You have got to be kidding me. She's still hanging on to that. I knew it. I knew it. She just cannot let it go. So you think she should just like forget about it? I mean, it's water under the bridge. She cannot keep getting her feelings hurt every single time she gets disappointed. This is life. Life is hard. Get over it. Okay. I, I mean, I get that. I get that life is hard and there's lots of opportunities Perfect. for disappointment. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Um, but... <laughs> I don't think it's very healthy to act like nothing ever happened. You know, I mean, sometimes we need to, you know, calm down and, and have a conversation. There might be, need to be some apologies, something we need to work through. Maybe there's a misunderstanding. There needs to be some forgiveness. <laughs> Is this what you do for a living? <laughs> well, yeah, actually, actually it is. So, so, so let me just, okay, let me switch gears on. When Jesus said to you, you know, Martha, you're getting all worked up over all these details that don't really matter. And this is the only thing that matters. And Mary has discovered it. Like, how did that make you feel? Um, like, I'm assuming he wanted me to get everything done. So you really thought that? I mean, somebody had to clean the house and somebody had to cook the food. Well, did you think to ask Mary and Lazarus what they thought? No, you but they didn't say anything. Okay. Well, then why does everything have to be so perfect, Martha? Are you kidding me right now? Right. Jesus is coming to my house. You just let Jesus come to your messy house? Or this, Jesus comes to your messy house and then he gets hungry and you're like, oh, I don't have any food. I'm sorry. I didn't even think about that. What do you think other people think of you? Oh, I think that they think that I am bossy. I think that they think that I am pushy. I think that they think that I'm demanding. I think that they think that I want it my way. Do, do you want me to, there's quite a long list. Should I keep going? Why won't you just open up your heart? Excuse me? Well, I mean, We've kind of been having a conversation here, but really you just sort of 
came in here with your agenda, and I've been trying to ask you some questions, but you're kind of lobbing bombs at me. Well, I think your sister calls it lava. Lava girl, yeah. Mount Martha. Yes. I know, I've yeah. heard it all. Well, but I mean, you know, Martha, sometimes trying harder to do something doesn't change anything. I mean, do you like the way things are between you and your family? No, I, I don't like the way things are. Well, then why don't you do something to change it? I mean, but what would I, what would I do to change it? Uh, how about... How about if I give you a place to start? Could I do that? I think I, could, I think I could handle that. Okay, radical idea. Okay. Okay. What if you asked Jesus to help you? Same Jesus that was in your house that day when you were busy over there in the kitchen. I mean, I believe you guys had a little bit of an interaction. And, and he didn't yell at you, right? And he didn't point his finger at you and... You know, he kind of just gave you an open invitation. So, what I if mean, you just how would, I, how would I ask him to help? Like, how does that? What does that even look like? Well, what would I do? You know, Mary. The last thing she said to me when she was leaving, right before you got here, she said, "You know, Martha really does mean well." She said, said that. she really does have a good heart. She said she just keeps it closed. So I would love, if it's okay with you, just to say a simple prayer with you and just maybe help you open up your heart. Would that be okay? You lead me? Yes. <laughs> It'll be painless, I promise. I think I need it. So let's do this. Just sort of you know, take your hands like you're holding something, just sort of let them rest right in your lap right there. And then just close your eyes and just repeat this after me. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. I hold my family in my hands. I hold my family in my hands. And you created them. You created them. And you joined me to them. And you joined me to them. And I know, and I know that I've hurt them. I know that I've hurt them. I know sometimes my words, I know sometimes my words are ugly, are ugly, and they're mean, and they're mean. And I don't know why. I really don't know why. I just know my heart is broken. I just know my heart is really broken. And I can't fix it. And I can't fix it. So I'm asking you, Jesus. Oh, I'm asking you, Jesus. To fix my heart. Fix my heart. Make it more like yours. Make it like yours. I give you my heart. I give you my heart. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Mary's never going to believe this. <laughs> well, you know, my prayer for you, Martha, is that, you know, you can't get to the end of the rainbow in one day, right? But I promise you things are going to be different. You're going to notice something different. I really believe you're going to be able to do some things and see some things you weren't able to see before. And it might 
okay? Just don't breathe to it. It might entail saying I'm sorry. <laughs> You're joking, right? I'm joking. <laughs> okay. But sometimes it's the hardest thing just to be open and honest with somebody and just to sit down and accept what you've done and say to them, I'm just so sorry and ask them to forgive you and just ask, can we figure out how to move from here? It's a hard thing to do, right? You just, you don't want to have that conversation. You just want to go do something. But I promise you, if you have that conversation, things between you and Mary, things between you and Lazarus, everything's going to begin to get better. Thank you so much. No, thank you. Yes, yeah, the same way for all of us. Because the truth of the matter is, to some degree, all of our hearts are broken. None of us have reached the end of the rainbow. None of us have hit that place where we love fully like Jesus loves. It's our desire is what we want to do. But we always need to up the ante on asking Jesus for help. It's a, it's a regular thing. It's a daily thing. For some people in the world, it's a minute-to-minute, hour-to-hour thing of just saying, Jesus, I've got to have you. So I just want to take a moment right now, and let's take a moment and let's personally, let's us ourselves take Christmas. And so I'm going to ask all of you that are in the room, all of you that are online, to simply do like Martha did and just take your hands like this, like you're holding something, let them rest in your lap, and then just close your eyes and repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I hold my heart in my hands. And to some degree, it's broken. There has been loss, there has been struggle. There has been pain. And I don't know what to do with it. So I'm giving it to you. And I'm asking you, Jesus, would you take my heart and would you make it more like yours? Now, Lord, as all of us in this room and online, as we just sit for the next few moments, underneath just this this beautiful song that sings of the first Christmas that just speaks the truth of you coming, light coming into the darkness, healing coming into brokenness, the light of the world, Christ coming. My prayer for every single one of us is that you would speak to our hearts in the next few moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me, please? So as you head out the doors this morning, I just want to bless you with that truth. Noel, come and see what God has done. Amazing love. He fills you up with so much amazing love that now you can go out there and just let it pour out on everybody around you. He puts so much light in your life that you can't help but to go out and let it shine. It doesn't matter what's going on in the news and the social media. It doesn't matter what's going on in you. All that matters is a miracle has come into your heart and changed your life. And nobody can take that away from you. And you can share that with as many people as you want to. I bless you with that awareness that you carry the light of the world in your heart, Jesus Christ himself. So go and let your light shine. Get your friends here for Christmas Eve. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be an amazing service. Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys so much.
You've been listening to the Cathedral Podcast. If you were encouraged by today's message, leave us a rating and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions about today's message or just want to reach out, send an email to questions at cathedralemail.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Have a blessed week.